So there's a story told about a, a couple. It was a Sunday morning, and the husband was, uh, was not feeling like getting out of bed. And the wife said, you need to get out of bed because we're going to church. And uh, the husband said, you know, I don't want to go to church. I'm tired of church. Um, you know, everybody there is a hypocrite. Uh, I don't even, that, that one crazy lady always tries to talk to me. I get tired of her. And um, I'm just kind of, kind of had it with church. And, uh, and, and the wife said, well, you are going to get out of bed right now, and I'll give you three reasons why we're going to church. First of all, we love our church. And second of all, we're called to support our church. Third, you're the preacher, and they're counting on you for the sermon, so get out of bed. Thanks for that, Megan, this morning. I appreciate that. Today we're going to uh, bring this January sermon series to a close. It's called Reset. And we've been operating under the, the basic premise that uh, the new year is a time to reset, to refocus our lives, to refocus on our beliefs, to, uh, to hone in on what's you know, most important and what matters. And so today we're going we're gonna to bring that to a close. Uh, the last two weeks I've, I've talked about rules for living where I have preached on the, the Ten Commandments as being the basic guide uh, for uh, how you know, we should live our lives. And last week we made it through rule nine, which said, you shall not bear false witness, tell the truth, seek the truth, uh, stand up for the truth. But there's one more commandment that we didn't get to, and I need to pick it up this morning. And I think it might be the most difficult commandment of all. And that commandment is, you shall not covet. Here's how coveting can be defined. To strongly wish for, yearn for, long for, or desire something that belongs to somebody else. Lusting is often associated with coveting. Envy, jealousy, and resentment are often what lead to coveting. Uh, coveting is a matter of the heart. And we're going to do a sermon series in February called Matters of the Heart, where we look at the different fruits of the Spirit. But coveting is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of focus. Now, coveting does not need to be confused with ambition or with working hard. Those are not the same things. Coveting is simply wanting or desiring what somebody else has. Um, when I first moved to Nashville in 2007 uh, to come to Woodmont, most of you, a lot of you remember that I was, uh, I was single. I moved into the parsonage, which is the house back here that we now have our Center for Healing and Spirituality with Dr. Ben Curtis as the uh, director. But, um, but, but the parsonage was pretty nice. It's, you know, 2,800 square feet, uh, has nice deck, good view of the steeple at night. The steeple lights up, really pretty. Um, the dining room ceiling that was plaster only fell down once. Uh, nobody was in the room, thank goodness. But I was pretty happy in the, in the parsonage. You know, people for the most part, left me alone. But I started getting invited to, uh, to other people's houses to go to dinner. Um, I think they felt bad for me because I didn't have a wife or a family. And so I started to realize that the, the parsonage was okay, but it wasn't as nice as some of these other people's houses that I was getting to go to. And, and when I'd get invited to, to go over to their houses, I'd come back to the parsonage and I was like, man, I thought this place was pretty cool, but it's starting to lose its luster a little bit. Um, True story, my brother John was living in London. He moved back to Nashville, and he saw an opportunity for free rent, and so he, uh, he moved into the parsonage with me. So you had not one, but two bachelors living in the parsonage, 
And, um, and this is true. He'll probably be upset that I'm telling this. But one night we were sitting out on the deck. We were cooking out. And, and, uh, and, and he looked at me with a straight face. And he goes, do you think the property committee would put in a hot tub? <laughs> he was dead serious. And I said, you know, probably not, John. But why don't you go ahead and ask? You know, what do we have to lose? <laughs> but isn't it funny? How in life we think we have something nice or great until we see somebody else who has something bigger or better. And then we want that. But God says in the 10th commandment, the 10th rule, you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox or donkey or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. That's the last of the 10 commandments. But don't we live in a culture with uh, an economic system that to some degree basically fuels itself on coveting. Aren't we told over and over again by the marketers and the advertisers that we deserve things that are bigger and better and nicer uh, than what we already have? Aren't we told that we would be so much happier if we just went out and bought whatever it is that they're advertising, whatever it is that they're selling, because we deserve it. Isn't the basis of the American dream predicated on the fundamental concept of having a better life than the previous generation? I mean, don't you want to give your kids not just what you had, but even more than, than what you had? You want to give them something better, right? And then we wonder why we're never satisfied, and we wonder why many uh, feel entitled. Think about this. There's a story told about the guy uh, who started Woolworth's department store way back in the day. Um, if you remember, some of us aren't old enough to really remember this, but if you remember department stores when they first started, you'd go into the department store and you'd tell them what you wanted and what size, and they would go to the back of the storeroom and they would get it, they'd bring it out, you'd pay for it, and you'd leave. Well, the guys that started Woolworths had this, this new idea. What if we put the entire inventory out on the floor and when people came shopping and they looked at all the stuff, slowly but surely they would figure out a lot of things that they didn't know that they needed, but that all of a sudden they needed. Uh, fascinating. So you can go into Target to pick up a couple things and $350 later you're walking out with a cart full of stuff you didn't know you needed. There was a study done up at Princeton uh, I think it was around 2010, 2011, uh, two professors who taught at the Woodrow Wilson School asking the question, what level of household income do you have to have in order to be happy? And they used Gallup data from roughly half a million Americans, and here's what they discovered. And this was, you know, eight or nine years ago. They said the comfortable income standard for happiness in the United States is somewhere around $75,000. And they concluded that once a household income is above $75,000, they found that there's not really any correlation to increased happiness based on how you, as, you know, what the, as a percentage of, of increased income. Now, clearly, they forgot to poll the good people of Green Hills here in Nashville. But what they said was that once you got to that point, your happiness level does not go up in proportion to your income. You might have a nicer car, you might have a bigger house, but your basic needs are, are still being met. Harvard did a study that was over a really long period of time. 
They tracked 268 male students who graduated from Harvard between the years of 1938 and 1940. Uh, and these were all men that they were tracking, and, and many of them have now passed away or they're in their, in their 90s, but they were trying to figure out what is it that makes for a happy and meaningful life in the long haul. And guess what they discovered? Love is what matters most. Connection to other people and forming friendships is what matters most. Moving away from narcissism to connection is what matters most. Working through challenges and adversity in life makes us who we are. Because without those challenges, we cannot build character and we cannot build resilience. And in that study, they found that, that money and power, although important in achieving business success, does not necessarily equate to more happiness unless that is accompanied by these other things that bring us love and connection and joy. And believe it or not, there are lots of very lonely billionaires out there. Um, I want to close this sermon series today by asking this question. What does it mean, what does it look like to reset our values and our priorities in life? What does it mean to live a life where we truly put our time and our energy and our focus and our money into the things that we say or we know matter most? Uh, if we got the chance to, uh, to talk to Jesus, if you could have a, a beer or a coffee with Jesus, and you asked him, what should my life be about, what do you think Jesus would say? I know some of the things that he wouldn't say. He probably wouldn't say your zip code matters. He wouldn't say uh, the size of your bank account matters. He wouldn't say that the kind of car you drive uh, or the brand of clothes you wear matter. So what would he say in response to that question? What would you ask him if you got the chance to have a conversation with him? Um, I think he'd say, man, a lot of people have their values and priorities way out of whack. A lawyer asked Jesus, what matters most? What'd he say? You want to know what matters most? Love God. Love your neighbor. Don't just talk about loving your neighbor, but love your neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Anybody. Anybody who is in need, anybody who might need our help, anybody who might be hurting or lost or struggling, uh, who needs some encouragement or, or some uh, assistance. Is it always convenient to love our neighbor? No. No. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes intentionality. But Jesus calls us to do it. Uh, if we had a, a conversation with Jesus, he, he might reiterate that famous teaching that we know is a golden rule. Go and do unto other people what you'd have them do unto you. Live your life that way. Pretend that you're on the receiving end of your words and your actions. And next, I think Jesus might say, don't spend your entire life uh, worrying and living in fear. I think he'd say, you know, when you worry, you can't add any time to your span of life. I think Jesus would be amazed at the number, number of people in our culture who live their lives completely controlled and paralyzed by fear, fear of what might happen, fear of what might go wrong, fear, of, uh, fear of, of things that sometimes aren't even that logical, fear of being rejected, fear of not being important, uh, fear of what other people might think about you, uh, fear of dying. 
He'd say, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's going to bring lots of problems of its own. Today's trouble is enough for today. So live your life today. Live your life one day at a time. It would probably amaze Jesus how incapable many of us are at truly being present in the moment. Because we're nervous and we're restless and we're anxious and we're addicted to our phones and we're, we're trying to be busy all the time and important. And meanwhile, our spouse and our children are clamoring for our attention and they're growing up before our very eyes. But we're distracted. We're off in some other world. Jesus would remind us that the present moment is truly a gift, a gift that, that we are often not good at embracing or opening. I think if we got to have a conversation with Jesus about values and priorities, I think he would talk about money and stuff, which ties into that 10th rule, you shall not covet. I think he'd say, take care, be on guard against all types of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. I think he might say, you guys are so worried about all your stuff and who has the most stuff and the nicest stuff uh, that you often forget that it's the people and it's the relationships that truly matter. And if you don't have good friends and people to share your stuff with, then what difference does your stuff make? <clears throat> what does the way that we spend our time and our money say about our priorities? What's most important to you? If Jesus asked to see your bank statement, would you show it to him? He might say, I see all these charges at Nordstrom's. I see all these fancy dinners out. But what about the church? What about charity? What about helping your friend who's really struggling? He would remind us that along with success comes a great responsibility to give back and to help other people. I think Jesus would talk about judgment. I think he would say, why are you so judgmental? Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but fail to recognize a log in your own eye? That's always been my driving uh, uh, verse for the season of Lent. Uh, Donovan's going to preach Ash Wednesday, so I'll plant that in, uh, in his head for that night. I think Jesus would challenge us to identify our own shortcomings and our own character flaws and work on those to the best of our ability and to quit focusing on just pointing out what's wrong with everybody else. That's easy to do. He might quote the golden rule again. I, th I think Jesus would maybe talk to us about our attitude, how in life we get to choose our, our focus. He'd say, you know, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eye is healthy, then your whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. He may even quote the Apostle Paul and say, uh, well, what should you focus on? Uh, listen to this. Whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, then Paul says, think about those things. And Jesus would remind us that life is, is full of choices. Uh, we went to a, a fundraiser last night for my friend Blake McMeans, who preached here last year. And you know, when Blake was in, uh, in high school in Knoxville, he was a, a world-class tennis player, highly recruited, had scholarship offers all over the place. But he went out one November and, uh, and had way too much to drink on the Knoxville Strip, and he got into his car, and he tried to drive home, and he went off the road, and he rolled his car into an embankment, 
and he had to be airlifted to the hospital, and Blake would never play competitive tennis again because he had incredible brain trauma and brain injuries. So the choices that we make in life matter. And one of the choices that we get to make every single day is, is what are we going to think about? What are we going to focus on? You know, you can sit back and you can be a victim of circumstances or you can step up and you can control your own destiny. There's always a choice. You can be positive or you can be negative. You can be optimistic or, or you can be cynical. You can be friendly or you can be grumpy. You can be loving or you can be indifferent. It always boils down to choice. And, and what do we choose? If we had a conversation with Jesus about values and priorities, I think that he might talk about the importance of forgiveness and how essential forgiveness is for our lives. He would talk about how we all make mistakes and, and, and we all do things that we regret and we all get hurt, but we have to learn to forgive and that includes forgiving ourselves. Holding on to things that have happened in the past really don't do anybody any good if you just keep bringing them back up. We all want clean slates. We all want new beginnings. So if we want new beginnings in our lives, then we have to give new beginnings to other people, including family members, including spouses, including friends that maybe have hurt us or disappointed us. Holding on to anger and resentment and bitterness is toxic. And every time we fail to practice forgiveness, then we're the ones who suffer. I think Jesus might talk to us about the importance of uh, denying self and how ultimately we're called to move beyond selfishness and self-centeredness, beyond the selfie culture. And he might say that, that serving others is where true greatness is found. And I think that he would be taken back by how Social media drives narcissism where we say, look at me, look at my life, look at my family, look at my vacation, look at what I'm doing. He might say, what makes you think everybody else wants to know what you're doing all the time? Jesus would say the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And you become great when you put other people first in life. You know, I think he'd also, if we talk to him, have some pretty strong words about religion. And how he's not a big fan of, of rules and fancy titles. He might say that, that, that power in this world is different from power in the kingdom of God. The things that matter so much to us on earth really probably don't matter so much to God. True religion is found in humility and service and compassion and peace and love. And I think Jesus would talk to us about peace. Turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, be a peaceful person in what you say and do. Uh, be kind. It's amazing how far kindness can get you in life. Get to know people for who they are, not just for what they have. Build bridges, unite, don't divide and, and tear down. Love people, support people, try to understand people, uh, be civil. Be a, a peaceful person and, and recognize that peace always begins, always begins in your own heart. And so your spiritual life and your spiritual practices really do matter. 
Because you can't find peace in your own heart if you don't carve out time in your day or in your week to experience peace. As Christians, resetting our values and priorities begins, I think, with aligning our values and priorities with those of Jesus. And he said in Matthew 5, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, then how can its saltiness be restored? He said, you are the light of the world, so let your light shine before others so that they may see your good work and give glory to your Father in heaven. I think Jesus would understand that life is not easy and life is complicated, it's difficult and many things happen to us that we don't see coming but we get to choose our priorities and we get to choose our values and we get to choose our attitude and we get to choose the people that we're going to hang around and we get to ask ourselves, am I spending time doing things that matter or am I wasting time doing the things that don't matter? And maybe there's some things that we need to cut out of our lives because we know that it's keeping us from focusing on the right things, the important things. And nobody else is going to make uh, those changes in our lives. Maybe there are some people that we need to cut out of our lives because we know that every time we're around them, they, 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 they pull us down. They lead us into an unhealthy place. And maybe we just, you know, maybe don't cut them out, but maybe you just need to spend a little less time with them in 2019. And I believe wholeheartedly that as Christians, Jesus gives us the guidance. He tells us what matters, but we have to listen and we have to follow. And so in trying to to, to push that reset button for 2019, all of these things are things that we need to think about. And all of these things are things that we have to be intentional about. And much of Everything that I've talked about this morning is found in Scripture. A lot of it's found in Matthew's Gospel. Reset. Faith matters. Family matters. Friends matter. Service matters. Amen.